Well, good morning. All right, can you handle one hour one Sunday? Yeah, let's not make this a harder than it has to be. Really, we do uh, have great appreciation for our teachers who every week help out for the rest of us to simply say one hour, one Sunday. That is not a big deal. You don't have to be Jack Bauer to pull that off. So why don't you uh, just take the opportunity in your bulletin or online to go ahead and go, yeah, I can do one hour, one Sunday. You don't need to make this complicated. We can knock it out and really give our teachers a break. That'd, That'd be a great gift. So if you would please follow up on that, that'd be awesome. So last week from the Gospel of Mark, we looked at our first Jesus encounter. And so you know, we're going to be in the coming weeks going through the Gospel of Mark and looking at how Jesus encounters all sorts of different people at different stages and different seasons of life. Very unique, each one. And the hope is this. That as we look at Jesus encountering people in his life, that we would find ourselves going, oh, I am getting to know Jesus in my own encounter, my own relationship with Jesus more personally, more intimately, more clearly because of what we are learning from the gospel of Mark. So I told you last week that I had one of my most memorable encounters was my first meeting with what is now my wife, Jackie, but my first meeting of her was in college at Columbia in the cafeteria. And if you know her, she has kind of a booming, strong voice. And so I introduced myself to her and she stood up, stuck out her hand and said, Jackie Outlaw. And I was so smitten by her. I said... Doug Rutt, if you marry me, I'll make you the mother of six children. (laughs) And she immediately got up out of her chair, left her lunch behind, and followed me to the courthouse, and we got married that afternoon. (laughs) You're not buying that? Why? Because that sort of stuff doesn't happen? Really? Check this. And he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea. Why were they doing that? Because they're fishermen. And Jesus says to him, here's what he says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So it does happen, right? Yes, and it doesn't just happen once. It goes on to say in Mark 1, going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And they're doing that. Why? Because they're fishermen. Immediately, he calls them, saying, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Same deal. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. So... It doesn't just happen once, it happened twice. Two sets of brothers, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishermen, and they've left. So why did it happen there when it didn't happen for Jackie and I? Because he's Jesus, and you're not. Well, that's true, except, well, no except. That's true, but I don't think that's why it happened for Jesus. And I don't think that because what we get here from Mark 1 is Jesus shows up, first time speaks to two guys and says, follow me. And they go, oh, okay. And they follow him. Two other guys, oh, okay. And they follow him. That's what it seems. And it must be like Jesus goes, woo, and and, and so they follow him. Except that's not a correct understanding of Mark chapter 1. Some of you have heard me talk in the past about a resource called A Harmony of the Gospel. This is a great resource for this reason. The Gospels, four different men tell the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they each have a very specific purpose. And so they don't include all the stories of Jesus because you couldn't include all of them. They pick the ones that are unique to their specific purpose for writing. 
What a harmony does is the best that they can tell, they take the life of Jesus compiled by all four gospel writers and they put it in chronological order so that you can go, oh, this is what happened. Oh, John didn't tell us that or Mark didn't tell us that or Luke didn't tell us that. And you can put them all together and get the chronological order. And when you do that, what you learn about Mark 1 is Jesus is not speaking to two random strangers saying, follow me. Actually, there have been seven encounters that Jesus has had with these guys prior to what we just read. I mean, you don't have to write them down. I'm just going to run through them quickly and show them to you. The first one is in John 1. He, that is Andrew, found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, translated Peter. So the guy that we know as Peter was introduced to Jesus first time by his brother Andrew. So the disciples, they've already met Jesus in John 1. John continues to tell us then, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. The wedding in reference is the wedding at Cana, where the account is they run out of wine. Jesus' mother goes to Jesus and says, we've run out of wine. And he takes water and turns it into wine. The disciples were there when that took place. So they have already been acquainted, and they were there for the first miracle at the wedding. Then... John 2.12 says, after this, he went to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brothers and who? His disciples. And they stayed there a few days. So not only have they already met and not only have they already shared a miracle together, they've also hung out with family for a few days together. We also learn in John 2, and this is a longer one. So hang with me and you'll explain and you'll understand why we're reading this long text. It says in John 2 that the Passover of the Jews was near. As Jesus went up to Jerusalem, so he's actually north, and he's coming down but going up in terms of altitude. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of money changers and overturned their tables." And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews said to him, what sign do you show is your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they said, it took 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of his body, not the physical temple. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. So what's that tell you? What's it tell you? That they were there. That they were there and witnessed and observed not only the cleansing, that's what it's called, the cleansing of the temple, but this exchange afterwards. And so... Disciples had been introduced to Jesus, had been with him at the wedding, had spent days with his family, and they had been with Jesus in Jerusalem. So that means the trip down to Jerusalem and therefore the Passover feast. Then John 3 tells us, after these things, Jesus' disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. So he's done ministry with them. Then they leave the region of Judea and they are heading back home, back north, and they go through Samaria. The disciples go to get some food and they come back and his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. You might know it as the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And and no one said, what do you seek or, or why do you speak with her? So the disciples are there with Jesus when he speaks to to the Samaritan woman. Then, after that occasion, while they're still, though, there, 
He says to them in John 4, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Here's what I think is happening. Disciples had gone to town to get something to eat. Jesus studies by the well, meets a Samaritan woman. As he speaks to her, she realizes this is the Messiah. So she goes back into town after the disciples have come out to be with Jesus. She goes back and she tells people in town about Jesus. And they are, the scripture tells us, many of them came out of town to meet Jesus. And I think what's happening is Jesus is saying to his disciples, Lift up your eyes and look and see the ripened fields. Not pointing at wheat fields, but what? People. Look at the people, white under harvest, who are ready to repent and believe. And it says in the text that many of them did believe. So on this seventh occurrence, disciples have been challenged by Jesus to see the kingdom harvest. So... There are these seven encounters that Jesus has already had with his disciples. Now watch what happens. In John chapter 4, verse 43, it says, After the two days, that's two days there in that area, he went forth from there into Galilee. And if you'll follow along in the chronological order of the life of Jesus, what you discover is these next three things. First, that Jesus is in Cana. But he heals the child in Capernaum. You may remember that story. The child's not even in the same town, but he says that she'd be healed and that the child would be healed, and it was. After that healing, Jesus goes to Nazareth, where he is raised, and there he is rejected and basically thrown out of town. Because he's rejected in Nazareth, he then returns to Capernaum. Now, here's what's key. In each of these three events, there is no mention of the disciples. So the question is, after they have had all of these encounters, not only meeting him, but following him and ministering with him and being challenged to a spiritual harvest, why aren't they with him now? And let me tell you what I think, and then I'll show you why. I think it's because they had been following, but they had stopped following. They had been, now they had stopped. Why do I think they had stopped? Because the next event, the next encounter in the life of Jesus is this. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net in the sea. Why? For they were fishermen. Is this sounding familiar? We're back to where we started in Mark 1. What's he say? Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Then he goes a little further to James and John, and what's he say to them? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, you understand? Mark 1, not two strangers. It's not like me going up and saying, hey, marry me, and I'll make you the mother of six children. Who are you? They had had extensive relationship, not just casual meeting, They had celebrated together, they had worked together, they had walked together, they had traveled together, and then they had stopped. For whatever reason, when they came back into Galilee, they went back to doing what they had previously done, fishing, and Jesus comes back and says to them, come and follow me. Often when we look at this text, We think of it as a first call to follow Jesus. Folks, that's not accurate. This is not a first call to follow Jesus. This is a call of folks who had been following and had done what? Stopped. And it was a call for them to start following again. Does that ever happen? No. I'd be hard-pressed to count the number of folks, adults, at the chapel 
who would say something like this. I grew up going to church. I accepted Jesus as a child. And I was really involved. And then I went off to college. University of Florida. And what happened to their faith at the University of Florida? It stopped. For whatever reason, whatever school, they stopped. And then for some reason... They start again. Lots of you would go, oh, that, that was my story. Or my story was I stopped in high school. Or my story was I stopped after I started my career. The point is this. What Jesus is demonstrating here is not a first call to people who have only just become acquainted with him. This is a call to people who have followed and stopped following to start following again. In other words, following Jesus is a call to a present relationship. It's a call to a present relationship. How many followers of Jesus have followed and then stopped? Every single one of us. It doesn't tell us how long they had stopped. Maybe two weeks, maybe a month, maybe 60 days. It doesn't tell us how long they had stopped before he came again. Every single one of us who has followed Jesus, though, has hit our stop buttons. All of us. Even if it was for an hour. Right? In a, in a moment of sinful anger, you stopped. In a moment of an unwillingness to forgive as you've been forgiven, you said, no, no, I'm not going there. You stopped following Some have stopped following for months. And some have stopped following for years. So, if I was to to say to you, are you following Jesus? Many of you would go, oh yeah, yeah, I accepted Jesus in 1974. And don't be, it's not trying to be rude here. But who cares? I don't really care. I don't care that you started following Jesus in 1974. That is not the question. The question isn't, what have you done for Jesus? What did, you, did you ever go on a mission trip? Who cares? What's the question? Are you following Jesus today, now, in this moment? That's the call. Because these guys had followed. These guys had ministered. These guys had been close. And they stopped. And some of you have stopped, whether it's been for an hour Six hours for the weekend, or six weeks, or six years. Some of you have stopped. And this is an invitation to really every single one of you. Follow me. So Jesus, follow me. A present relationship. See, Jackie didn't leave the cafeteria immediately. We spent 18 months And then we got married. So imagine in our 50th anniversary, 18 years from now, here we are. And it's been a rough 18 years. And she says to me, how come you never say that you love me anymore? And I say to her, I told you once, if anything changes, I'll let you know. Not a very good relationship, right? But that's how some of us have thought about our relationship with God. Oh, yeah, I accepted Christ back in 67. No offense. Who cares? Really. The question is not, did you ever start following or did you used to follow? The question is, right now, today, are you following Jesus? Today, 
It's an invitation to a present relationship. Second, following Jesus is a call to a personal transformation. It's not only a call to a present relationship, it's a call to a personal transformation. What did Jesus say to Peter and his brother? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Did you catch that? Follow me and I will make you. In other words, where there is a following present relationship, what else is there? Change. There's transformation. I'll give you an Old Testament example. It's said in the Old Testament that Moses, after he was the leader of Israel out of Egypt in slavery, across the Red Sea and down the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Sinai, that Moses went up on the mountain and he had an encounter with God. And it was so profound that He was physically changed by it. The Bible says his face would glow because he had been with God. But then he discovered when he would leave being with God and go back down the mountain to the people that little by little, the glory that had caused his face to shine, it was like somebody was turning the dimmer switch on his face down and it would lose its glory. It would lose its shine. And Moses didn't like it, so he hid it. He put a veil over his face so that the people would not see the glory of God diminish from his face. So Paul, writing to the Corinthians, paints a completely different picture for us. He says, here's what happened to Moses. Here's a different picture for us. Listen. But we all, with unveiled face. No, no veil in front of our face. Here's why. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. You follow that? If not, let me help you. Why did Moses put the veil over his face? Because the glory was diminishing. In the presence of God, out of the presence of God, diminishing. Why would we not put the veil in front of our face? Because the glory of God is never intended to be diminishing. It's intended to be increasing. The longer I walk with Jesus, the longer I follow him, guess what is happening? I am being made like him. Follow me and I will... Are you all with me? Okay, follow me and I will make you. In other words, there is a personal transformation that happens promised by God by those who follow. And so when someone says to me, you know, Doug, I don't know that I ever really change. I'm not sure I've ever changed. That tells me something. You know what it tells me? Don't miss this. You know what it tells me? They stopped following at some point for some reason. Because, what's the promise? Follow me and I will make you. Joyfully, I'm serious, joyfully, I can say that since I have married Jackie... I have watched her become more and more like Jesus. It's not a diminishing glory. It's an increasing brightness of Christ. That's a great privilege. It, It has been true that, not perfectly, but that she has consistently followed. And the promise for those who consistently follow is, I will make If you're tracking with me, 
you ought to be, I'd really encourage you. If you're married, ask a spouse. Uh, teenage girls right here, ask your agape leader. Or ask your mom or dad. Do you see me changing? Or am I kind of the same old person? Not spiritually, do you see me changing? Because people who follow, what happens? They change. Why? Because Jesus said that's what he would do. It's not because they changed. We don't change ourselves. We choose to follow consistently, presently. Not just a past decision. Each and every day I make a decision either to follow or to stop following. Some go off to school and stop following. Some get in a relationship, stop following. Some get around a group of friends, stop following. And when you stop following, what else stops? Transformation. I stop changing. When I start following, what happens? I start changing. Not because I'm changing myself, but that that is the promise. And so, again... I'm really not interested whether you followed last year or not, because that was last year. The question is today, currently, are you following? Hey, you may have blown it last week. Start following today. You may have blown it last year. Admit it. Start following today. Well, I started following. I know. I know you started. I know you've been following Jesus for five years now, but at some point you stopped. Start following. Because when we follow, he changes us. Third, following Jesus is a call to a responsibility to invite others to follow. It's a call to a responsibility. It's a privilege, but it's a responsibility to invite others to follow. You could say it this way. Jesus simply said, hey, follow me and do for others what I've done for you. Now don't miss the three phases of what's happening here. You guys have been following. You stopped. When did they stop? I know this would be hard for you. But if you can think back to the seven encounters, do you remember when they stopped? What was the last one? With the Samaritan woman, lift up your eyes, see the ripened fields. And they went home and went back fishing. And so what's he say when he shows up again? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. It's simply the same. It's the same truth, just a different analogy. Ripen fields or fishers of men. He, he begins with them where they had stopped. Follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. Now, look up here if you would for a moment. Follow me, and what will I do? I will make you. I'll change you. What is one of the ways that I will change you? What's the one way he identifies? You'll become a, an inviter, a fisher of men, an inviter of other people. Now, the word of God describes itself like a sword, so it's going to cut. And that's just a warning for what's coming. Because the word is going to cut many of us in this moment. For me, it was when we were going through the gospel of Luke together as a church a number of years back. And I got through the gospel of Luke about halfway through, and I recognized this horrible realization about myself and that I was more like the religious people that Jesus encountered than like Jesus. And it came down to one issue, my concern for lost people. 
that weren't overseas. International fishermen, no domestic. And it was a horrible, and I'm serious, it was a horrible reality for me that I had for years called myself and would have said, I am following Jesus. But I wasn't a fisher of men domestically. What's that tell me? I'm not following. I had stopped. See, I think this is foreign to us. What do you mean I stopped? You you were going to church. You were pastoring. Yes, I was. But there was a point in my life where I was doing all that and to the glory of the, seeking to glorify God, but in an area of my life that I had stopped. Because what's the promise? Follow me and I will change you. And one of the ways that I specifically will change you is make you a fisher of men. So listen, friends. This is the sword that cuts. If you are not a fisher of men or growing in to being a fisher of men, you have to hear this. You are not following. You're not. At least not in that area. You've stopped. I don't know why. But you stopped. Because, I didn't make this up. This is what the text says. Follow me and I will make you. It's not something I do. It's something that he does for those who follow. Follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. If I'm not being made into a fisher of men, then whether I want to admit it or not, I have stopped following. And that ought to be a real wake-up call to many of us. Ooh. That's sobering. This is why, though you at the beginning of this message may have gone, oh, really? Yeah, I follow Jesus, but I'm glad so-and-so's here. They need to follow Jesus. Maybe you are right now, right now, recognizing this is an invitation to me. To follow Jesus so that he would make me a fisher of men. That was the very specific call to these two brothers. What did Andrew and Peter do? They immediately left. James and John immediately left. And years later, Jesus said to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now let me pause. Forget those guys, you. Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? It's not a universal answer. It's a personal answer. Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? If you have trusted in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, then the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Then what have you received? Power. To do what? To be witnesses. Not theologians, not Bible scholars. You don't need to be a pastor or no Greek. You have to be a, you've been empowered to be a witness, a fisher of men. In Jerusalem, if you're there, and God moves you to Judea or Samaria, wherever he sends you, wherever he sends you, you would go, I'm fishing for men. Why? Because he's making me that. Why? Because I am following him. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Peter and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. That's what my kids do as well. They leave me with the work to do, and they go off, but maybe not to follow. Well, they follow Jesus, but that's not why they're leaving me. They leave. Why? Why do they leave? For this reason. Because a call 
So following Jesus is a call to make him my first priority. No one, no one follows Jesus as their third priority. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is a call to make him first priority. So how'd that work for Andrew and Peter? Well, they had a career. What was their career? Fishing. What was his call? (laughs) Follow me. What did they need to do? They need to rearrange the priorities of their life. Now, can you have a career and follow Jesus? Sure. But as long as it's this, then your career will always be in competition to following Jesus. But when it's this, then your career will be the venue, the avenue through which you get to follow Jesus, whatever you do. For James and John... They had a family business and following Jesus. And he said, along the seashore there, make me your priority. For them, that meant we left their nets and they followed. They left dad in the boat and they followed. What is competing for first priority in your life? There was a, in my teenage years, a friend group that was competing to my following Jesus. And when they were first priority, my following Jesus had a lot of stop to it. And there came a point in my life where I rearranged the priorities. Still friends, but my friend group was secondary to my priority following Jesus. Do you follow? You you, you see what's going on here? There's a man who comes to Jesus who's described as wealthy. He says, I want to follow you. Jesus says, excellent. Go and sell all your possessions and follow me. And the man goes... Uh, I can't do that. And he goes away sad. Just like some have said, well, I can't give up. My career is my priority for the sake of following Jesus. I can't give up my friend group as the priority for the sake of following Jesus. Whenever you make that choice, it will lead to sadness. It will. It's what happens. When you choose to put something other than Jesus as the priority of your life, like the man did with his wealth, will always walk away sad. It was a call to make Jesus first priority. Now, when Jesus says, follow me, do you understand? He's not just saying words. He is saying words that are reinforcing an example. In other words, he is saying, do what I have done. Has Jesus left anything important behind to do what he did? Well, look at this. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, left it behind. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he is a, he's simply saying, follow me, making me your first priority as I made the Father my first priority, even to the point of death. Death on a cross. So here's what I'd like for us to do. 
in our remaining minutes, I'd like for us to remember the death of Jesus and the priority represented in Jesus in that. And as men, you can come forward with the elements. As we do this, you can put your notes away here. Your Bible way, that'll help you. As the men pass, you're going to see a plate of bread. I invite you to tear a piece off and then a tray of cups. Take a, a cup. The bread that's going to come in front of you is a symbol. It's representing the body of Christ torn on our behalf. The cup represents the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus so that we could have forgiveness of sin. Now listen. Some of you are like, yeah, I've done this a thousand times. Now here's what I want you to do as you wait as the men pass the elements. I want you to ask yourself a very, very personal question. Is there anything that is replacing Jesus as priority in your life? That you would say, yeah, I've stopped. That the Lord, if you would just pause, really honestly, and say, Lord, is there anything that is more important? Friends, reputation, money, hobbies, experiences, security, retirement, anything more important? If there is something, would you simply quietly there in your seat confess that to the Lord? Confess your stopping and tell him you want him to be first, that you want to follow him. Take that moment of quietness and then I'll lead us.
declare we're not our own. And I am not my own. I am born with the blood of the Lamb. I am not my own. I am cleansed, I am claimed, I am I will take up my cross, take up my cross and follow you, denying myself, denying myself, I will run after you, I will take up my cross, take up Denying myself, denying myself, I will run after you. The scripture declares, one died for all, so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died on our behalf. These are the symbols that remind us of Jesus who died so that we could live. He is worthy of first in our lives, worthy of living our lives for, to follow him that he would make us. Would you tell him as you take, Lord, you are first in my life. Father, we are overwhelmed by your greatness, love, and grace to us. That your mercy is extended so that we who are dead in sins might be born again to walk in newness of life. Thank you for giving of yourself so that we might live eternally and abundantly. Thank you for the privilege of following you, being made like you, of sharing in your work of being fishers of men. We're grateful for that. And pray that you would continue to grow us, that our faces would reveal Christ more and more. No veil needed is you're transforming us, you're growing us in Christ. Thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to, if you would, stand with me, please. Last week we declared a very simple truth that I asked that maybe you would declare it time and time throughout the week. If you weren't here, it was simply this expression. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Not, not here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill this life, this atmosphere. That as we would be inviting his Spirit's work in our life, moment by moment, that he'd be making us fishers of men. I want us to declare this together as our prayers we leave. Holy Spirit, welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord.
Spirit to be welcome here. We are saying, Lord, I want to follow you so that you'll make me a fisher of men. That, that we would experience his presence so that others would experience him through us. And so if we can uh, pray with you this morning, maybe you've came with something heavy on your heart or a concern it's always men and women available uh, out your right or in the north, straight out the back doors. Folks who would pray with you. Or maybe the Lord has spoken to you and, and brought something to mind that, that you would say, I want to pray with someone about starting to follow again. It's really our greatest privilege so that we would be walking with him and he'd be making us fishers of men. God bless. God bless.